Hello there, it's Dr. Dan Guerra. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the beautiful USA. Today is the 21st of September, 2020, and that makes me think we're right about at the um, time for fall to start, the autumnal equinox, as it is, my favorite season. Uh, but we can... Um, leave that behind because that is a bit of a digression. And let's get on to uh, the lecture today. Um, and I'm giving this authentic biochemistry lecture on this 21st of September because I have nothing better to do. Now, last time, right here, we were talking about the senescing process being associated with an increase in T memory cells and a decrease in naive, both CD4 positive and CD8 positive T lymphocytes. And we were saying that this was basically a, an immunophenotype of the aging process. The results of which can result, uh, can, can uh, lead to enhanced infections in the elderly, as well as a much higher incidence of tumorogenesis because of the failure of naive T cells to be converted into T effector T helper cells in the one lineage of CD4. And of course, the inhibition of the CD8 positive T cells to either um, to make the uh, natural killer T lymphocytes and also the lack of production of regular innate like uh, natural killer cells. So because of that, Frank, decrease in T-cell-mediated removal of pathogens and tumors, we see these diseases increasing as people age. And this enhances, of course, the morbidity and ultimately mortality. And remember, we're talking about aging leading to uh, the mortal that is the fatal outcome and what actually causes uh, frank mortality in humans as they age. And so this is what we're examining here. This is what we have right now under the microscope. Okay, so I told you last time that we could look at a couple of different papers. We looked at some young people that developed germ cell testicular cancer. And I told you that after chemotherapy, these are young men between the ages of, let's say, well, even younger, but the, the study we're looking at were like between the ages of 15 and 35, that after classical chemotherapy, there was a production of a, a large amount of senescent cells and that those senescent cells seem to be associated with in uh, later, uh, uh, when you looked at uh, the, long um, the longitudinal effect of having chemotherapy in these early testicular cancer patients, that you see that they are prone to more infection uh, and also hypogonadism um, and the very young and also uh, neurological disorders. And this was all linked to immunosenescence, okay? So again, immunosenescence is normally seen in the elderly, but it can be um, manifested even during chemotherapy. So something to do then with the modification of the immune system during chemotherapy because of a cancer the cancer treatment is quite effective, and of course, it's usually considered a good um, treatment because otherwise the fatality would be much higher. 
um, it doesn't come without some cost. And the cost is this immunosenescence. Uh, so we also talked about just basic scrotal cancer. We talked about some of the transcription factors. Remember the P ink transcription factors being involved in this immunosenescent process. So now today I want to lead into what we left off with exactly last time, which was this production of senescent cells. Um, and then that being linked to the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, or SASP, okay? And again, remember I was telling you that aging and trauma are risk factors for the development of an autoimmune disease called osteoarthritis. Of course, it's a chronic disease that's characterized by the degeneration of articular cartilage, leading to a lot of pain, physical disability. And the paper we were looking at was published in Nature Medicine, 2017, June of that year. Uh, volume was volume six, and the page number was 775. And we're telling you that senescent chondrocytes are found in the cartilage tissue from patients who underwent joint replacement surgery, and that those <clears throat> particular cells, those chondrocytes, had... Um, molecular patterns because of the P16 ink 4A uh, um, linkage to immunosenescence. They had a pattern that looked like immunosenescence. And this publication in Nature Medicine, they took the promoter for the P16 ink 4A. Remember, this, is, this, is a, this whole thing is done in a transgenic mouse model, okay? And they used that promoter and then a couple of reporter genes for um, immunofluorescence so that they could detect the expression of those genes in the cells that they introduced into the mouse via replacement surgery. And they did it via a surgical procedure called anterior cruciate ligament transection, or ACLT. And what they found, remember, was that the senescent cells accumulated, because they introduced them, right, with a couple of markers. They, they, they accumulated articular cartilage and synovium after the uh, surgery. And then they carried out a selective elimination of those cells and they looked whether or not they were they generated osteoarthritis in this murine model. They also looked at pain activity and increased cartilage development. Now, the way that they did this is they did an intraarticular injection of these senolytic uh, cells, and then they used a chemical, which is a guanine analog, which allowed them to selectively kill the cells in vivo. And so they did this because the entire system was, the, the, the transforming DNA that was used was uh, also associated with a truncated form of the herpes simplex virus, thymine kinase gene, or HSVTK, which your author actually has worked in, in uh, other systems. Now that's a negative selectable marker often used for homologous recombination experiments, but it can also be used as, an, as a conditional lethal. So if you add a drug that this thymidine kinase, once it's expressed, will take up and treat it as a nucleotide, then what you will get is DNA termination 
and you will get those cells to die because they can't, well, they can't divide, right? Because you've caused um, an inhibition of DNA replication. So because of, because of the induction of adding a negative selectable marker and then the expression of the negative selectable marker gene like the HSVTK, that's called negative selection. Anyway, what they found out was that they got basically a sine curve motif. They got a lot of production. And again, they were, they were studying these by using reporter genes, these cells, these introduced cells by looking at reporter genes. What they found that there was an increase in the production of these cells, these senescent cells, and then they killed them by adding the guanine analog because of the expression of the negative selectable marker. And what they found is that um, they could generate osteoarthritis pathogenesis. And, and so they could do it just by having a 14-day period of the expression of these senescent cells, okay? And so that's really interesting because one of the gene, remember they're using the promoter for the P16 Inc4A. So that normally the open reading frame that would be there would be that trans would be that protein. Remember that protein controls um, that's the CDKN2A locus. Remember, that's that's a cyclin-dependent kinase um, inhibitor. Okay, that's what the P16 Inc4A is. So it basically causes um, cell cycle inhibition. Now that leads to in those in those chondrocytes, those aged chondrocytes, a senescent phenotype. So so this is what they're looking. They're generating a senescent phenotype. Okay, uh, but they're all they're also killing that phenotype, killing those cells, and then looking what happens as a, as a sequelae after the expression of those cells in this mouse model. And what they got was osteoarthritis. So that's really curious. And so they followed a couple of SASP markers, for example, interleukin six, and they indeed found that that went up. When they when those chondritic cells uh, chondrocytes were were, were uh, proliferating, but then interleukin six levels dropped after they killed the killed it off the cells using the guanine analog because of because of the expression of the HSV TK gene. Okay, so maybe that's a lot for you to swallow or to understand, but that's just basically using transformation technology, gene expression technology to look at how cell lineages can affect an immunosenescent phenotype in a mouse model, okay? So I just wanted to remind you of all of that, all right? Now, to move off of that and get back to just talking about senescence, right? So targeting senescence um, sensu stricto as a means to combat aging might actually be problematic. And that's because any treatment that you might want to use to limit uh, the deleterious effect of senescent cells may also allow for or generate a pathway to remove the potent barrier for tumorogenesis. Because right? senescence is essentially the contrarian, remember, this is what we were talking about several lectures ago, the contrarian to oncogenesis as, as, and then the result of that is tumorogenesis. So in a caloric restriction uh, set of experiments uh, in macaque monkeys, it was shown that you could extend lifespan via that caloric restriction. 
And when they when they studied this in at the molecular level, the most prom, prom, uh, promising candidate, I guess I would say, for the longevity in these mammals was rapamycin, which of course is a macrolide antibiotic, and that's actually produced by Streptomyces hygroscopius. Uh, and it, it, believe it or not, that particular bacterium was discovered in the soil in Easter Island. So isn't that interesting? All right, so. Rapamycin is clinically licensed for immunosuppression in kidney transplant patients. And of course, the, some, of, some of those patients uh, are the result of having renal cell carcinoma. So rapamycin is actually also used for renal cell carcinoma treatment due to its broad inhibitory effects on cell growth and proliferation. It's used for a different reason for immunosuppression, as you might guess, because that just inhibits the production of immune cells, right? So rapamycin mechanistically acts by binding um, to the protein FKBP12 that produces a complex which can then bind and inhibit mTOR. Remember, that's the target of rapamycin, which is basically a eukaryotic serine threonine kinase. We talked about this a great deal, the old mTOR pathway. Now, mTOR constitutes the point at which diverse Environmental signals are coordinated into a cellular response, regulating pathways, including things like cell growth, proliferation, survival, motility, and overall intracellular protein synthesis. Again, we talked about that. Okay. So mTOR then generates the agency for proliferation and enhanced bioenergetics in the cells where it is activated, right? So the mTOR inhibitor rapamycin is going to tank that. Remember, we asked, told you how that was associated with autophagy. Remember way back when? Of course you do. Now, so rapamycin inhibits the uh, complex for uh, mTOR called mTORC1. But chronic treatment with rapamycin can also interrupt mTORC2, which is a different complex. So rapamycin does not inhibit the phosphorylation of mTORC1 substrates equally, and I mentioned this in the past, it completely inhibits the phosphorylation of S6K1, that's downstream from mTOR, but it only partially blocks the phosphorylation of this protein called 4EBP1, okay? So it's kind of curious, right? So you, you block um, this phosphorylation of mTOR, right, because of making this complex with it, with rapamycin. And you would think all the downstream effect would be hit the same way, but it's not the case. SK61 uh, gets, you don't get any inhibition of that um, uh, system because of the inhibition of mTORC. Okay, I mean, that completely inhibits it because of the inhibition of mTORC, but you only get a partial uh, inhibition of a downstream processor called 4EBP1. So if you look at the crystal structure of mTOR, rapamycin and this protein FKBP12, that's the one that links the two together, I suggest there may be due to differential substrate access to the kinase active site, which means that anything that's phosphorylated then with the, the healthy mTOR complex could be differentially affected when it's modified by rapamycin. You understand. This is all done by crystallography. If you ever wonder why X-ray crystallography is one um, avenue for biochemists, physical biochemists, or physical chemists to go through. This is why, because they give us really, really good 
experimental data, uh, for example, like how mTOR, uh, the crystal structure of mTOR, rapamycin, and this protein FKBP12 work together to control the partial inhibition of phosphorylation of downstream substrates. So it's curious because why am I telling you all this detail? Because rapamycin in some of these models looks like it could extend lifespan in mice when administered even in middle age, but it has all kinds of side effects, especially when you give it to older animals. So why is that important? Because you're not likely to think about, if you think about increasing longevity, you're not very likely if you're thinking about pharmacotherapy for young people, like someone in their early 20s or 30s, to give them some kind of pharmacotherapy so they live to be 100, right? You'd be thinking about designing drugs or pharmacotherapies in general for when people are already 65, 70 or 75, 80, right? And increasing their lifespan. And so what I'm telling you is the mouse studies tell us that because of this differential regulation just of one of the targets for aging, mTOR, right, um, may not result in the same kind of potential um, health benefits for younger people or younger mice in these models as they would for the older animals. So that is once things change because of the overall senescent process, what looks like maybe functioning in model organisms in the young will not carry out to the elderly population. Okay, so that's really important for you to understand. So paper published in uh, Computer Structural Biotechnology in 2019. Now, this is uh, volume 17, page 1151 to 1161. Let me open this up here a little bit bigger here for myself to look at. This paper tells me this. Aging leads to the progressive impairment of homeostasis. Remember that is far from equilibrium. Homeostasis doesn't mean things are near equilibrium. It just means that everything's holding together in a very dynamic disequilibrium. You always have to remember that. The uncertainty is everywhere in the universe. Dynamic disequilibrium is how life works, right on the edge, always. Anyways, aging leads to a progressive impairment of homeostasis at genomic, I would say cellular, tissue, and even whole organism levels. And all of those reduce survival and, of course, fertility, while increasing, unfortunately, the risk of disease and then, of course, mortality, death. Now, at the cellular level, Aging is secondary to multiple processes that have been described as what are termed in gerontology hallmarks of aging. These include epigenetic changes, genomic instability, which we talked about before as being one of the, in the list of what we think is causing aging, telomere attrition, which of course we just talked about last time, Loss of proteostasis, that is, having a correct abundance of cellular proteins so as not to move into a, a senescent state. The dysregulation of nutrient sensing, altered intracellular communication, mitochondrial dysfunction, stem cell exhaustion, overt frank cellular senescence, and then 
last but not least, inflammation and even an impaired adaptation to stress. <laughs> so those are all the hallmarks of aging. It's quite a lot to deal with, right? So if you have a loss of proteostasis and these epigenetic alterations, genomic instability and telomere nutrition, you will generate a phenotype, right? It's going to look like cellular senescence. Now, those are all things that are happening within a cell lineage. And then outside of that system, a tissue bed, let's say, or organ system, you're going to also have the extracellular functions of low-grade inflammation and an overall loss in stem cells, frank stem cells for those particular tissue types. So rather than getting stem cells that will give you more, say, hepatocytes or, uh, let's say, neurons even, right? Um, what happens is you age because you don't have stem cells for those frank tissue types to determine differentiate toward, you get fibrosis. And remember what fibrosis is like. Remember, I carried you through that whole hepatocellular carcinoma story, how fibrosis can really lead to a lot of difficulties because those fibrocytes are not for example, hepatocytes. Yet that's what the liver will fill in when it can no longer make hepatocytes. And then imagine all the other tissues and organs like the lungs, right? Rather than having epithelial cells or endothelial cells for muscle contraction in the lung, you're making fibrocytes. And so they're not going to function as myocytes, so you're not going to have the function of the lung. You get the idea here, okay? So aging is more influential than any specific risk factor for the development of chronic diseases. This is really important to, to consider. Aging, in other words, if you think about what contributes most, right, to a risk as a risk factor for the development of chronic diseases, and which ones I mean, the ones you think about for the elderly, neurodegeneration, cardiovascular disease, uh, unfortunately, because of uh, increase in caloric intake in diet, diabetes, right? Diabetes type 2. But then going back, because diabetes used to be, type 2 diabetes used to be rare when I was younger. And, and we only talk about, uh, you know, uh, diabetes type 1, right? Uh, now we talk more about uh, type 2 because type 2 is later onset and it's not because of a, a, a an inability to make insulin. We already talked about all this in terms of metabolic syndrome, right? Um, and, type, and just overall what type 2 diabetes looks like. Uh, but remember that that is linked to obesity, right? But obesity also enhances immunosenescence. No surprise, because obesity leads to an increase in reactive oxygen species. Um, a loss of telomere activity, that is telomere attrition. Um, it, it results in telomere attrition. It results in genomic instability. It results in a dysregulation of nutrient sen sensing. All these things I said associated with aging are also associated with obesity, only at a younger age. Okay, you get that? Got it. Okay, so there is a considerable overlap between the hallmarks of aging and the pathogenesis and the mechanisms of the pathogenesis of all of those chronic, debilitating, elderly-associated diseases. Neurodegeneration, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, osteoporosis, of course, is, auto, is an autoimmune disease, can't, which we talked about, uh, all forms of cancer, right? 
Remember, those are diseases that normally will end up causing high morbidity as you age. And eventually, one of those diseases is what's going to kill you, unless you get hit by a car. All right. So aging impacts directly all. Okay, now here we're talking about liver cells. Okay, All different types of liver cells, um, including hepatocytes, liver sinusoidal endothelial cells, and stellate cells, and the immune cells in the liver called the cucumber cells. Okay, so aging can impact all those cell types in the liver, not just hepatocytes. So, but most of the research on aging in liver, of course, is focused on the hepatocyte, because that's where most of the diseases are, are most commonly described. <clears throat> and there's a substantial literature on the hallmarks of aging uh, for hepatocytes, right? We talked about them when we talked about hepatocytic carcinoma. Also, many studies of aging liver have used liver tissue, which is primarily hepatocytes. So that's what you do when you, when you work in culture. But the other three liver cell types, there is much less known about the effects of aging at the cellular level. So the effects of aging on all liver cell types needs to be examined, right? So in a young, healthy liver, right? Well, let's just go through this process. The difference between a young, healthy liver and an aging liver. Let's go through this. The aging liver is not simply a decrease in the um, positive expression of certain growth factors or transcription factors in the healthy liver. There's actually a distinct change in the level of expression, not only of those gene products, which regulate, um, let's say, just bioenergetics, right, or regular cell metabolism. It's much more complicated than that. In the young liver, solutes like lipoproteins, insulin, and carbohydrates are all able to diffuse between the blood and the hepatocyte. And that's via these LSEC fenestrations. Okay, so these are these are these are basically um, barrier cells, barrier cell lineages, which allow for the movement of lipoproteins and carbohydrates and amino acids, right, and lipids, all to be able to move directly uh, into the hepatocyte, right. That's what a younger, what a younger liver system looks like, right. So those fenestrations are necessary for that to occur. And you lose those fenestrations as you age. That's one major effect. You also lose those SLSEC cells, okay? Remember, those LSEC cells are the liver sinusoidal endothelial cells, okay? Now, intracellular communication via the release of vascular endothelial growth factor, VEGF, very potent uh, contributor to cancers, actually, from hepatocytes and nitric oxide and hepatocyte growth factor, known as HGF, from those SLSECs, right, and the HSCs, remember those are the hepatic stellate cells, okay, maintain that far from equilibrium homeostatic phenotype of the younger cell. Now, with age, there's a multitude of changes to each cell type, impairing the expression of VEGF, 
the synthesis of nitric oxide, presumably from nitric oxide synthase, and HGF. Remember, HGF is the hepatocyte growth factor, obviously very important. All that dynamic goes down as the cells age. So hepatocytes demonstrate an increased polyploidy and DNA damage in hepatocytes themselves. An increase in the accumulation of a compound called lipofusin, which we talked about in the past, reduced mitochondrial oxidative capacity, okay, so less electron transport, less oxidative phosphorylation, increased oxidative stress because you're making a lot of ROS, right? And uh, ultimately less ATP. So you get then what's known as senescent cell production. That's a senescent cell, so the senescent cells start to accumulate with senescence associated with the change in the expression of those genes because of limitations in the LSEC and HSC cells in conjunction with the hepatocytes. Okay, that's why I want to give you the complete fluid detail. So the senescent cell accumulation is linked to, of course, SASP. Remember, SASP is senescence-associated secretory phenotype. So what does SASP do, that phenotype? It promotes the recruitment of inflammatory cells. And the LSECs, because of the SASP phenotype, will have reduced fenestrations as less surface area. They'll have an impaired angiocrine factor release to generate angiogenesis, and they'll have a cellular autophagy phenotype, as well as an increased cell adhesion marker expression. All of that is indicative of the aging process, okay? All of that is going to lead to issues. We're going to stop there and uh, I'll come back real soon.